you can constantly improve the products, right? So uh, you can constantly improve the size curve. You can constantly improve the, the quality, the, the colors, the materials and everything. Uh, so I think it, it, it really benefits um, uh, everyone. I think more and more companies are looking into actually moving their production closer, uh, closer to home uh, in order to, to reduce lead times. This can actually be a good thing for the industry because, um, you know, all else equal, um, I think, you know, the impact on environment, for example, can be can be uh, smaller when when you produce uh, closer to home and, and you don't have to ship, you know, across the world. They need to make sure that um, their inventory is optimized, that they're uh, always buying the exact right amount of goods given all you know current circumstances and and can't really build up um, inventory and and uh, and risk having overstock going forward because um, you know overstock just uh, it, it ties up too much capital that is needed as as uh, cash flow in the um, in the business so on today's episode we talk about overstock the issues involved in overstocking in inventory management right now and how to merge human insights with data insight to be a better inventory planner. So stay tuned. This one's going to be a good one. Cheers. This is the 2X e-commerce podcast hosted by Kunle Campbell. Hey everybody, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. I'm your host, Kune Campbell. You'll probably be listening to this episode on the 21st of November. You're literally days, three days away from, from Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So best of luck, best of luck, um, everybody going going ahead with this final quarter. We've been really, really busy. So um, I'm not sure if you noticed this past two weeks, we have not published an episode on, on, on the podcast. And that's because I, I, I published like a series of six episodes earlier on in the month that were back on back on a daily basis. And I thought, ooh, I need to give myself a break. We need to get back to work. Um, you know, this podcast in of itself is, is work, as, as you can imagine. It's work on a regular basis. And at the same time, um, we, we're, we're working on our brands at Octillion. And um, it's, it's, it's a really busy, busy, busy period. So I'm just as busy as you are. And, and forgive me. So what should you expect on today's episode? Well, today's episode is an interview I had with a, a chap. He's the CEO and co-founder of Made in Analytics. His name is Axel Bukowski. He's, 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 he, when you listen to him, when you listen particularly to his intro, you, you kind of get um, some context as to the caliber of um, expertise he has. So he started his career out in Boston Consulting Group, which is like at par with McKinsey. So it's a top world, top consulting um, you know, firm. And, and then he moved into managing D2C businesses on behalf of Rocket Internet, which is Europe's biggest, one of Europe's biggest e-commerce incubators. And then um, incubator, sorry. And then he he went on over to CDON Group, where he he, he essentially launched his brand. So he, he has operator experience, and like many great e-commerce SaaS founders, he understands the pain we all are going through. And he started out this this platform called Made in Analytics, which is an inventory planning and reporting platform. 
he's found success in in the fashion niche in in in, in the fashion you know vertical but in in this episode we we just we, we dog deep we dog deep into um understanding the quantitative aspects and the predictive analytics aspects of inventory management as well as the human layer to inventory management so so it's he he also talked about i think the core theme here in, in this episode was more about Many of you, I, I can understand many of you are going through struggling through through an overstock situation. And he he offers a, a an essentially a roadmap or a a pathway out of, of that issue, particularly given um the time of year we, we are. So you you start afresh in 2024 with with nice purchase cycles. So if you know, inventory management is a bit of an issue right now with your e-commerce business, and um, you want to to, to 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 know a bit more about how AI can help you and how to solve overstock issues. Listen, pay attention, listen to this episode to the very end. You will be smarter. Axel, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the 2X e-commerce podcast. Thank you, Kunlil. Really nice to be here. I'm glad. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Now let's start off with your backstory. I I, I always love to to hear the precursor to 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 to, to what brings you here. You're you're currently the CEO and co-founder of Made in Analytics, an inventory planning SaaS tool for consumer brands, particularly, I believe, in the fashion industry. It'd just be interesting to to, to, to understand your journey to, 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 to hear, yeah, Axel. Definitely. So um, my name is Axel. I'm, um, I'm currently living and operating out of Stockholm, Sweden, um, where I'm also born and, and raised. And uh, I'm close to 40. I'm, I'm turning 40 now in, in two months. Um, time flies. And, and that means... Um, I've had a career so far of, of you know around 15 years or something, and and I started off. I studied, I studied economics at um, at university or Stockholm School of Economics, and then I started my career as a management consultant uh, at Boston Consulting Group, um, mm. 15 or something years back. Um, really, really fun job. Um, you know, working with strategy and, and different types of strategic projects for for big uh, big companies, uh, but also a lot of hard work. So. After around two and a half, three years, I realized that maybe consulting wasn't what I was supposed to do for the rest of my career. And, and I was really interested in moving towards e-commerce. And this was around, you know, 2010 or so when e-commerce was, obviously it was uh, uh, an existing, uh, you know, market and, and uh, it, it was growing a lot, but it was not as big as it is today, obviously. And, um, and I was really curious to learn more about uh, how e-commerce actually works. So I joined um, Rocket Internet at first. Um, and, and Rocket Internet, if you know, it's uh, it, it's a German company. They were really active in Europe around 10 years ago. Um, and, and basically, the, the concept was to identify different successful e-commerce concepts uh, in, in the US uh, that were not existing in, in Europe and then try to as quickly as possible, launch and, and execute on, on similar models in, in Europe. Um, so a very fascinating business model um, and a really you know, fun year or year and a half or whatever it was um, that I stayed with Rocket Internet. I ran two different um, ventures for them in Scandinavia. 
uh, focusing on you know hyper growth and uh, and executing as, as as quickly as possible. Uh, so so that's where I first sort of dipped my, dipped my toes into e-commerce, and then um, um, when I left Rocket Internet because they were they were actually sort of shutting down in in um, the, the Sweden operations. It, it was a big uh, you know big office of, of around 150 persons, I think, but. They were allocating resources to to other places, and then I, I left and joined uh, CDON Group instead, which uh, it's a Swedish company, and at the time it was the largest e-commerce player in the in Sweden and in the Nordics. They had mm. like twelve different portfolio companies selling everything from white goods to um, to books to fashion to uh, baby products and toys, etc. Uh, and I worked with business development for for that company for all the portfolio. Um, companies basically also a really good learning experience you know seeing everything from um, marketing to uh, logistics to you know organizational questions etc um, and did that for for a year or something as well and um, at that time I became really interested in uh, trying to start my own business, um, and and that's also what I did. So I started my first own venture, and this was in 2013, 14, uh, and this was a um, a D two C brand within the eyewear sector um, or within the optical sector. So we were designing, producing, and selling uh, eyewear, basically. So mainly prescription glasses, but also sunglasses and and reading glasses, um, and. Um, as I'm, I'm sure you're aware, in, in most markets, same in, in Sweden and Nordics, the, the optical industry is it's, is really driven by you know really large players. Um, and at that time, so around ten years ago, um, it was a very non-digital market. You, you couldn't really buy, or it was almost as if you couldn't buy eyewear online in, in Sweden. Um, and, and we set out to, you know, trying to disrupt the market. Um, we didn't really manage to disrupt the whole market, but I think we, we made a, a small dent at least in um, in the industry. So uh, we, we designed, produced, and sold our own own glasses uh, in our own channels. Uh, so the channels being online and also a small small uh, chain of of uh, own physical stores uh, where we actually had, you know, opticians and, and everything to, to make eye exams. Um, really, really un- interesting uh, few years where where I uh, uh, you know fun- founded and uh, and ran that uh, that company. Um, uh, really fun to to try to take something from from zero to to something. Um, and one of the main challenges that I had with with that business was to actually calculate how much should we produce uh, out of every you know collection and every every single SKU. Mm. Um, because eyewear, as, as many other consumer goods uh, products, are um, like they're, they're difficult to produce. It takes a lot of time. Um, they're semi-handmade. Uh, there's a lot of you know, manual processes involved in, in manufacturing eyewear frames. And it takes, at least with, with the type of materials that we used, uh, it takes at least Three months, uh, just uh, you know the, the production length, uh, but sometimes it, it can be up to you know five or six months if you if you're really unlucky, um, and that really um, that really makes it complicated to decide how much you should actually produce because you, you can't really just look at at your your current inventory saying well we have 
too much or too little of, of this SQ, and then we need to produce this much because you need to you need to calculate you know how much do you think you will sell uh, until you get the next delivery and how long do you want uh, the next delivery to last so how much will you sell after the delivery has been made etc um, and having like we didn't have that many products it was maybe 50 different products but every every product came in different variants so different uh, colors basically and then for many of the products or many of the variants, they also came in different sizes, meaning that you know, 50 products turned out to be maybe 400, 500 different SKUs. Uh, and trying to forecast and predict every SKU when you have that many, and that's not that many even uh, if you compare it to other brands. Um, I realized this was, this was really, really complex. Um, we, we tried to do this you know, through the use of... Um, or we, we tried to build a lot of different, you know, Excel models, and uh, we looked at different, you know, available SaaS solutions uh, that we could purchase and, and start to use. But we never really found something that uh, that we thought, you know, made sense or, or worked for our type of business. Um, mm. So that's actually what led me and my my colleague and co-founder uh, Petter to start. Um, to start Madden Analytics. And Petter didn't come from the, the previous company I worked with uh, or started. Uh, he came from, we actually met at Boston Consulting Group um, 10, 12 years back. Um, so we were colleagues back then. He stayed at BCG for, for um, a bit of a longer time. And then we, we joined forces and, and started Madden mm. Analytics uh, almost four years ago. Mm. Mm. Super, super interesting. What what are your roles uh, at this point in time? You you you're CEO and um, um, Petter is it Petter? How do you Petter, how do you Petter? Petter, like yeah, Petter Flauter. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Petter Flauter. So so what is he? Is he a technical co-founder or? Exactly. So he's um, he's a technical co-founder. He's the. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm having more of a, more of a you know formal title. I'm the CEO and working mm-hmm. more on the commercial side. And Petter is uh, um, like I call him the CPO. Uh, I'm not sure if he agrees. Uh, CPO or CTO. Um, uh, he's he's working. He's running the tech team. Um, he, he's doing all the you know uh, planning up all the development work and and. Uh, you know our roadmap and uh, prioritization on a weekly basis, etc. Um, yeah. So he's, he's definitely the technical co-founder, which is uh, you know a, a really good mix because I'm not, um, I don't have a technical background, so I, I can't you know I can't write code or or anything like that. I'm I'm really interested in in um, in the forecasting side of our business, but I can't really I can't really code our software. Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. If you have been following my journey here on this podcast, you'll know that I am a co-founder at Octelion, a consolidator of Digital First Good For You CPG brand. We acquire brands with a view to scaling them up. We currently have a portfolio of three brands, all powered by the commerce platform Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkouts, which is a whopping 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. You'll also sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. I remember the first brand we acquired was running on another platform with quite poor conversions. We made it a point of duty to get it migrated over to Shopify and our checkout conversions literally doubled. What I love about Shopify is its ease of use. I don't think there are any other e-commerce platforms that beat its usability. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is truly a global force powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklyn and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash e-commerce x2, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash e-commerce x2 to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash e-commerce x2. Hey 2Xers, I want to take a moment to talk about a service that has made a significant impact on product launches for our e-commerce brands. It's called Tread. Tread first hit the market in early 2020 and has since become the go-to financing option for over 500 brands, including big names like Rosum. In just one sentence, Tread can be described as the ultimate solution for purchasing inventory, allowing retailers to sell first and pay suppliers later. As an e-commerce brand owner myself, I can't emphasize enough how helpful Tread has been for our business. Their unsecured funding and credit model, which takes into account the current financial health of a business, has allowed us to access financing without worrying about collateral. We've improved our cash flow by avoiding upfront supplier payments and freeing up funds. This has enabled us to invest in larger orders, expand our product range, and even negotiate supplier discounts. And let me tell you, the flexibility is amazing. Tread offers a pay-as-you-go model with a flat and transparent fee, which means you only use it when you need to. No hidden cost or long-term commitments, just a simple and effective way to manage our inventory financing. The best part? Tread works independently of e-commerce platforms and requires minimal onboarding. It doesn't matter if you're a founder, CEO, CFO, or part of the finance team. Tread can be a game changer for your business. With taglines like sell first, pay suppliers later, and snooze your supplier invoices with Tread, it's clear that Tread is all about empowering businesses like ours to import the goods we need now while handling the invoice and allowing us to pay up to 120 days later. So if you're in the e-commerce space and looking for a smart, flexible financing solution, I highly recommend giving Tread a try. Visit their website on treyd.io. That's treyd.io to learn more and get started today. Now, let's get back to the show. 
well, first, first things first. Thank, thank you for for sharing your background. Uh, it, it really gives me context. Actually, my first time hearing about your background um, from 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 consulting. You know, this Boston consulting is is part of the big three: McKinsey, Boston. It doesn't get any bigger. So you have that global outlook to to solving problems. One, hmm. and then um, secondly, your 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 immense uh, over a decade's worth of operator experience, you know, with, with rocket internet, um, you, you talked about, um, you know, your, the, your, your eyewear brand, I think it's Nivy Das and, and also yeah, the, the C group, you know, exposure. So, so you have a lot to, 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 a lot to, to pack in and, um, and, you know, a lot of insights from inventory management, you know, standpoint. So, I also picked up the fact that in your, you know, the 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 lead times, you know, five to six months was is quite a big window to to plan. So meaning that you only have two opportunities every year to to kind of you know get inventory right, which which is which is tough. Hmm. Okay, so we're, we're in twenty twenty three now. You've been running Madden um, Analytics since I think twenty twenty. Um, what are for, what what are what what are you seeing? What's been your experience thus far in the world of inventory management, from particularly the industries that um, you see requiring, rather the verticals that really require, you know, um, inventory planning and just the the macro trends you're seeing at at a, a major yep. analytics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, the the one really big trend that we see is that um, or and, and i mean this is probably what what a lot of other people are seeing as well but um there has been a lot of focus in the you know past uh, maybe 10 years or so um there's been a lot of focus on growth uh, basically growth at at any cost um so uh, there's a there's many many brands out there that has been you know funded by by uh, venture capital firms or other types of investments uh D2C has been, you know, a, a really hot, hot area for a lot of investors, a lot of founders, um, and sort of the the north star, I think, has been, you know, growth at almost any cost uh, previously, uh, and I think a really major shift uh, that we're seeing uh, since at least one and a half years back is um, a shift from focusing on growth to actually focusing on on profitability and, and focusing on cash flow, um, and um, I'm no, I'm, I'm biased because I'm working with with inventory planning, but um, we're really glad that this shift is happening because this means that more companies and more brands out there are they need to focus a lot more on inventory planning. Um, previously, they they could like the general feeling was that they could just you know buy uh, anything, they would make sure to to sell it through you know performance marketing campaigns or. or uh, or other types of, of initiatives, but now they can't really behave in that way. They, they need to make sure that um, their inventory is optimized, that they're uh, always buying the exact right amount of goods, given all you know current circumstances, um, and, and can't really build up um, inventory and and, uh, and risk having overstock going forward because um, mm-hmm. you know overstock just. Uh, it, it ties up too much capital that is needed as as uh, cash flow in the um, in the business. Uh, so we, we really see a major shift from um, 
from focusing on growth to focusing on profitability and cash flow. And inventory planning is, of course, a huge part of that. Um, yeah. But, but I guess my question is, like, obviously, it seems... From from what I hear, it seems like everybody's trying to get to this just in time model to 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 really really be as efficient as possible, but that has after ramification ram, ramifying <clears throat> consequences on like the way you produce. So if like your supply chain is with a third party factory and it's halfway around the world, there are few variables available to you to to plan uh because you need to put you know um you know into you need to put things into production and their lead times for shipping and, and all of that stuff so how do you balance that overstock if you're not a producer and you you don't really have that that much in your control particularly when you're now <laughs> trying to be more efficient meaning that the economies of scale and the purchasing power you typically have when you essentially overstock are no longer there because you're trying to say, hey, factory, hey, you know, you guys need to be as efficient as possible, or hey, suppliers, you guys need to be as efficient. So, so yeah. what, what do you have? What do you have to say, say about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, on on that topic, I think um, um, near shoring or, or moving your production closer to home, um, it's, um, I think, there are more discussions around that right now than it has been during the the, the past 10 years. Uh, I think more and more companies are looking into actually moving their production closer uh, closer to home uh, in order to, to reduce lead times. Um, this can actually be a good thing for the industry because, um, you know, um, uh, you know, all else equal. Um, I think you know the impact on environment, for example, can be can be uh, smaller when when you produce uh, closer to home and, and you don't have to ship, you know, across the world. Um, but mainly, I think the goal for for the companies looking into nearshoring is to actually reduce lead times. Uh, and apart from that, I know there are a lot of companies looking into being able to plan further down the the production line. So not only you know, ordering the, the finished goods, but but also starting to look at keeping raw materials or, or components in stock uh, in order for their suppliers to be more agile agile and and, um, and quicker when they actually when they order the, the finished goods. So, for example, if you're producing, um, you know, shirts, you, you can perhaps uh, keep the raw material um, in in stock at your suppliers. Uh, so if you you have maybe 15 different colors or or uh, styles in, in material that you want to use, you keep that in stock, and then you can cut you know everything from a few days to a few weeks or, or months on on the lead time because the supplier doesn't need to to source the material when when they get the, the order. Uh, they can just you know pick from the shelf. So there are definitely um, there are a lot of you know discussions and initiatives going on uh, among the, the customers that we work with, um, and and apart from from you know trying to decrease lead times, I think there are a lot of um, other factors or initiatives that can be made. For example, trying to negotiate MOQs or, or minimum order quantities, uh, so you don't have to order as much every time you order, uh, and and you know instead having um, smaller but more frequent orders. So. You know the cash flow. Uh, the cash flow effect is not as as big uh, every time you order, um, and yeah, other initiatives like that. But I think nearshoring is um, is is perhaps the sort of the bigger theme that is discussed by by a lot of different brands and customers. 
that is really interesting. Nearshoring, it's it's great for <laughs> for efficiencies and also great for the environment. But but yeah. that, that is a very very interesting insight right there, Axel. Obviously, with with all that we do from an inventory planning standpoint, um, everything is de- is is determined by 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 demand. You know, demand forecasting and and how people actually really buy. Given the fact that most economies, most Western economies are or have been in an inflationary sort of mode, how are how is demand forecasting? How's that affected demand for d- demand in general? And and I know like it's really dependent. If we go if we go to economics one hundred and one, it's really dependent on on the the kind of product, whether it's elastic and elastic and all of that stuff. But but um, from 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 the data you're seeing at Madden Analytics, how has demand sort of changed, and what are the cascading effects on? On, on inventory planning yeah. and, and the supply chain. Yeah, so, so I mean, demand, for sure, you can say that demand has, you know, general demand for consumer goods products has decreased over the past uh, one and a half, two years. Uh, I mean, that's just uh, a truth, I think, for, for uh, most consumer goods companies out there. Um, there are exceptions, you know, in, in certain specific categories that are, um, you know, growing uh, significantly still. But um, I think the overall demand has, has definitely decreased. Um, and, and this is, of course, a big problem for, for most brands out there and, and retailers. Um, and combined with the fact that uh, most brands and retailers, they, they sort of stocked up a lot during the, the previous um the previous years when, when times were, were better. Uh, so there's like a double effect of, you know, um, historical inventory levels going up uh, because most brands thought that previous demand, previous growth rates, they were going to be st- stable forever. Um, and that coupled with the demand suddenly actually going down, uh, that means that there are a lot of companies out there that, that are overstocked right now. And this is actually visible in, in the in a lot of data I, I read i read a report uh, just the other day um looking at uh you know the overall um the overall campaigns uh price campaigns uh, across the, the this was a report on the nordics a few weeks ago um and they were analyzing you know um on an overall level i think you know 100 or 200 big companies participating in the survey exactly how much did they uh, what were the sort of you know general discount levels throughout different months going back uh, a few years and and what was really really visible in the data was that from May 2022 uh, so basically after the the war uh, the, the Russian war in Ukraine started and and uh, you know in, inflation uh, started to really take off interest rates uh, started to peak energy prices continued to to be really high. Um, companies started to discount a lot. Um, so discount rates went up with, um, I can't remember the exact number, but you know, a really significant number. It was above, um, above a hundred percent increase in, in, you know, gen, uh, average discounts uh, across these mm-hmm. companies. And, and, um, uh, this is of course a factor of, of the companies building up overstock, uh, and then suddenly hitting a wall where, where demand is, is suddenly decreasing. So, 
uh, they're locked in with you know a lot of overstock and, and suddenly a, a decrease in demand. So meaning they, they have to do something with with the overstock and they started to to uh, discount and, and campaign. Um, so this is also like an, an overall theme I think since the last uh, one and a half two years back that. Uh, there's a lot of discounts out there. There's a lot of campaigns out there, and it's going to be super interesting to see now, you know, in, in November and and um, uh, Black Friday and and uh, another you know Singles Day and everything. What what the effects will mm-hmm. be like? How much will will brands and, and retailers actually discount? Because I think uh, I think there's potential that this November can be sort of one of the the highest uh, or the biggest campaign months, um, you know ever ever existed basically Mm. Uh, that's another very very interesting insight there and in regards to to the heavy discounting um with regard yeah with in in reaction to the overstock situation and and i so and i I guess this is just to create an equilibrium so by 2024 your the the Inventory planning is just much more balanced and aligned with potential demand. You know, with with demand. You know, moving yeah, forward. I mean, I I hope so. Um, uh, I mean, of course, no no one has the sort of magical uh, crystal ball where you can uh, you can really look into the future and and uh, with hundred percent certainty say what what next year is going to be like. But um, I mean, I hope that demand is not. Uh, is not going down further, uh, and I hope that a lot of companies are starting to to manage their overstock and their inventory levels in a better way. However, managing your inventory and your your potential overstock that is is usually a, a quite long process. Uh, like there's no there's no single initiative that you can make in you know one week or one month to to um, to to you know. Uh, get rid of all your overstock. Um, usually, at least, I mean, you, you can of course have a you know big clearance sale or, or something, trying to get rid of all your overstock. But that's not usually how how brands and, and retailers are, are doing it. Um, it. It's more of a you know you have to work continuously with both trying to manage the current overstock, but also making sure that you're not building additional overstock. So, you know, all your your current and future purchase orders that you place right now, that they are not um, Know, further down the line, also building up overstock. So it, it is a process that takes time. Uh, but I hope that in 2024, um, inventory levels will be uh, slightly better than in um, than in the current climate. Interesting. So you're very specialist in, in the fashion industry. So if we zoom into the fashion industry, is this affecting luxury fashion, or is this is this um, is this an entire fashion industry issue, or um, is is luxury fashion unaffected? Uh, yeah. I, I would say it, it affects um, it affects the, the whole industry. Um, hmm. I mean, the, the, um, perhaps that the luxury luxury part of the industry is a bit more resilient. Um, you know, the the old saying that luxury goods are are not as affected as as uh, uh, you know cheaper goods in in a downturn because people that buy the luxury goods they they are usually not the most affected individuals by you know lower demand or higher interest rates and, and so on. Mm. Uh, but I definitely think that, um, I think that luxury brands are, are, um, are, are affected as well. And I think, uh, I think actually for, for a lot of, you know, high margin brands, um, sometimes they are the brands that have the most problems because they like historically they can, um, 
they've been able to hide you know bad operations and and bad decisions uh, under the fact that they have high margins um because it, like it doesn't matter or historically perhaps it, it hasn't mattered that much if if they've had some overstock because you know they have really high margins on on the on the goods that they actually sell uh meaning that they, they don't really have cash flow issues um but i think for brands like that they will also you know face a, a reality where they they definitely need to manage the, the overstock and, and can't really can't really hide behind high margins anymore interesting 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 okay and, so and, let, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I, um i think you because you, you you started sort of to touch on the on the topic of of, of fashion industry and and uh, I think on a general level, why why the fashion industry perhaps have more problems than than other industries when it comes to uh, you know having efficient inventory planning and 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 perhaps facing more you know overstock issues. Um, I think it's because fashion products are you know they are um, inherently more complex to work with uh, compared to to many other products and this is because of a number of reasons so one is being that uh, the production lead times are, are often long um i think three months are are um, is, is some kind of standard but um, many brands have you know four or five six months of, of production lead times and then you add shipping to that to, to get uh, the goods home from your factory which is usually you know one or two months um uh, other than that you have seasonal products so um like you have your your summer goods, you have your your uh, autumn or winter goods, uh, meaning that you have like a, a, um, a window of time uh, where if you don't sell your goods, your seasonal goods during that that time period or that window, then then you're basically screwed. You you end up with overstock. Uh, and also a third factor is that which I mentioned as well from my previous eyewear company is that. Most fashion brands they have uh, sizes, right? Um, so they have they have products, they have variants of, of products, which is usually different colors or different materials. And then um, out of the variants, they have maybe seven sizes in in on average. Uh, and that means that you know just one product can be you know uh, twenty different SKUs, uh, perhaps, which is. You know, there's just a lot of different products to to forecast and try to make you know informed decisions on how much of the small, extra small, medium, large, extra large, etc. should be buy. Uh, and if you don't get that right, then you quickly end up with um, with products being overstocked. And I mean, that's why you see. Mm-hmm. Uh, like w- w- if you go to a clearance sale of, of, of a fashion brand, you always see the you know the the edge sizes. Uh, they're always mm-hmm. the ones uh, still hanging in the in the racks, like mm-hmm. the extra extra small or extra extra large mm-hmm. or you know size uh, forty six out of shoes. And that's because it's really hard to calculate how much uh, you should actually produce out of every single size. And then in that case, probably the brand uh, produced too much of the edge sizes and too little or too few of the of the more you know common sizes and that's why mm. they end up with having the the edge sizes still in stock when when the clearance uh, clearance size comes up right that, that that's insightful so so what how do you so, so how do you plan in 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 that respect no actually my question my real question is i'm going to start out from the pretext that that um the fashion industry obviously has the highest return rates when it comes to to any retail vertical, uh, the 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 it's ridden with a lot of problems. 
there are people who would buy various sizes or buy, buy various colors, try at home and then return. Um, others um, buy to wear once and then return. With all of that that's going on in the fashion industry, how do you efficiently plan um, from an from from an inventory you know you know planning standpoint how, how do you sort of balance it out and and are do you are you privy to return um you know to return information to 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 return rates with me yeah, you have access to sorry last question are, 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 we... say, are, are you privy to 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 return rates data at um at, hmm. at, at media analytics is that is that yeah, another yeah, sure. sort of variable you 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 work with and and to to, to, yes. to produce um, um you know um suggestions yeah yeah definitely and and we need to because i mean uh if you have you know 30 or 40 50 percent return rates then obviously what you're selling today it will come back like if you, if you have 50 percent return rate and half half of the goods it's you're selling today it will High. come back to uh, it will come back to your your warehouses and and you'll be able to sell that again hopefully so from an inventory planning perspective it's, it's really important to take that into account just to reiterate my, my question my, my question is really with with the return rates with the high return rates in in, in fashion how how do you balance out you know um, inventory you know, um, planning to to, to yeah. ensure that um, you're not in that situation where you're overstocked, and or you're not in a situation in which you have these extremes coming to to your clients. You're minimizing your clients' events because there's more efficiency taking all those data points. And even besides return rates, what other data points do you sort of factor in to to accurately suggest a way forward for for for, for operators? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, the, the fashion industry has some big issues and big problems. Uh, it's, it's estimated that up to 30% or even by some estimates up to 40% of all the clothing items that are produced annually are never sold uh, because there's no you know demand for it and, and uh, companies have to get rid of them. Um, they end up in either landfills or, or you know, being burnt um, because there's no buyer for them, basically, and, and the companies need to get rid of them. So, I mean, that's a huge problem for the industry as a whole. Um, and that's something I think that the whole industry needs to uh, work much, much more closely on, and, and a lot of brands are. But um, returns are, of course, it's a, it's a big part of the problem um, that, uh, you know, Products are being returned. Some of the returns are not in, in good shape, so they can't be sold. And, and some are returned, you know, after the, the time window where, where, where the product is, uh, is supposed to be sold. So the demand is not there anymore when the return comes back, etc. Um, and I think there are a lot of, you know, small initiatives that the industry as a whole can work with. For example, you know, charging for returns, which, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a bit weird that, from a lot of retailers and brands, returns has been free of charge, uh, and I think that's that's changing. Um, and that's of course one factor that could you know help out decreasing return rates going forward. Uh, I think a lot of brands are working more with um, carryover collections and, and never out of stock collections instead of working with um, with seasonal collections, or at least. Mm -hmm. uh, upping the or um, increasing the share of never out of stock products compared to the share of, of uh, seasonal uh, products. And this is a good thing, I think, uh, from a returns perspective, because I think the products that are being most return, returned are the, the seasonal products, you know, the, the products that are uh, um, 
you know constantly dropped and and you where where customers are you know having a, a demand artificial or not when they want to try the the new seasonal style and and uh, you know it didn't work out for them so they they, they ship it back um and so that's a good thing um um i think what a lot of uh, multi-brand retailers are doing at least in 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 the nordics um, and at least from the big multi-brand retailers they are sort of you know canceling out or or um um uh, actually blocking customers that are returning the most items um because there's usually um there's usually a smaller set of customers that sort of accounts for for a large share of of um, of the returns and and um, blocking those customers or canceling those ca- customers is a bit controversial but um mm-hmm. i think for the industry and and for the companies it's a good thing uh but then then again i th- oh, and and, and um, another initiative is is working much much more with finding uh true sizes uh, mm-hmm. So, because one of the one of the return, you know, um, one of the return uh, issues. One or, of the reasons or, why, yeah, people return one, is one of the reasons sizing. return is that the size doesn't just fit. So, you know, someone ordering a, a size uh, a shoe in in size forty three and and it doesn't fit you, uh, and you send it back. And I mean that shouldn't be the case because if, if you know that you have forty three, uh, then then buying a forty three from any type of shoe brand it, it should fit you right so um mm-hmm. i think a lot of brands are, are trying to work more actively with with finding true sizes uh, which is also uh, super important i think um so i think from an industry perspective there's a lot that can be done uh, to, yeah. to try to minimize returns and and to your question on you know what what kind of different data points do we account for when we forecast sales and inventory going forward so i mean returns obviously is one thing uh, but there are a lot of other things such as, you know, seasonal patterns. Um, so we look at all the historical data for, for your products, um, trying to, you know, identify different patterns. So, um, is this a product or a category or a collection that is, you know, selling more or less during different time, uh, during different periods of the year? Mm-hmm. Um, on product level, we try to identify where in the sort of growth phase of, of the product um, does this product belong is, is in its sort of life cycle is it you know taking off or is it stagnating or is it um, uh, or is it sort of dying out and, and perhaps should be, be cancelled um, uh, we look at uh, you know the, the growth of, of the company we look at the growth uh, or decrease of, of uh, different uh, categories and and uh, sort of allocate that to, to different products um, we look at the size curve of uh, of all your products, so trying to determine if, um, um, like, did, did you have the right size split of your com- of your products uh, previously, and and what type of size split should you have going forward? Uh, and all this we do sort of automatically. We we pull the data from the customers, you know, ERP system, ecom platform, point of sale system, or whichever system is the most relevant. Uh, mm-hmm. And we run our, you know, forecast modules continuously on on all the historical data, and the user can also, as mentioned earlier, they can also like the the art part of of our tool is that uh, the customer can always, you know, tweak and adjust the the forecast so they get a baseline recommendation from Madden, but mm-hmm. then they can tweak that um, they can tweak that forecast saying, for example, well. This is a product we're going to cancel, so we don't want to have it in the forecast. Or this is a product where we will focus a lot more going forward. This is a product where we will add more colors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Um, so it's it's really a 
it's a dynamic tool where the where the customer sort of they get a baseline recommendation, but then um, they're able to tweak based on their you know their own insights, their own knowledge of, of the mm. brand and the company. Mm. It's really interesting, really interesting, interesting data points also. Just want to go back to one of your points you made with regards to the fact that um, the what brands are doing in, in regards to manufacturing or selling more um, not out of fashion type products, so essentially staples. So, so, so these, I guess you leave fast fashion to the likes of Shen and Zara and um you know brands if if they, they 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 move a bit slower they're able to be more efficient so yeah. i'll give you an example true classic true classic is a t-shirt brand that, st- that started in 2019 purely d2c shopify you know store um as at the last count in august they 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 done revenues of 250 million US dollars. And this is not just a COVID bump. This is consistent. And, and the fact is that they have a limited number of SKUs. They know their target market. People know their fits. So they, they're very just, they're very good at what they do from a fitting standpoint, from a targeting standpoint, men, middle-aged men and quality standpoint. Mm. And they just produce, produce, build a reputation Execute with clever marketing and and they just go, I don't know what their inventory situation is, yeah. <laughs> mind you, yeah. but um, <laughs> on the face of it, it looks like they're doing well. <laughs> De- definitely. And I mean, they, they've built the company, um, um, they, they've sort of, um, they've aligned the company, uh, making sure that um, inventory planning is it shouldn't be that complex because they don't have that many products and, and uh, they have a lot of data on each and every product because it's a, obviously it's a permanent collection. So it, it lives, uh, you know, through season after season, meaning that, you know, the more data you have, the more historical data you have on, on sales and inventory, the more accurate predictions and, and forecasts you can make going forward. So I think they are uh, like their prerequisites are, really good uh, when it comes to to making uh, uh, forecasts going forward i have no clue what the inventory situation is like um but um i'm, I'm i hope they're they're working closely on it and and uh, i think it's easier for them than it is for uh well shine as you mentioned or, or zara or or h&m you know companies that have uh, most of their sales from seasonal collections and they they just have to take you know bets on on every collection that they produce. Uh, they have to take new bets, you know, several times per year. How much should we produce out of these products? We have no clue how much they will sell. We can you know make best guesses, but we, we don't really know for sure. Um, and and that's where you end up with you know um, by mistake ordering too much of of uh, products that are not selling and ending up with overstock. So I think moving more and more towards permanent collections or, or, you know, classics, um, carryovers, never out of stock, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that's a really good thing for, for, um, brands in specific, but uh, for the industry as a whole, and, and also for, you know, the environmental, uh, impact, uh, of the business as well, uh, not having, you know, products that are supposed to live for just a few months, but they're permanent in your, in your collection. Um, and that also means that you can, you can constantly improve the products, right? So uh, you can constantly uh-huh. improve the size curve. You can constantly improve the the quality, the the colors, the materials, and everything. 
Uh, so I think it, it, it really benefits um, uh, everyone. So when you plug Madden into into you know um, an e-commerce um, you know system of a of a of a retailer or, or brand, do you can you do you have the ability of profiling? Oh, this is obviously a fast fashion brand, um, and so we're going to work this way. The AI is going to work this way. Or oh, this happens to be a permanent, you know, um, you know, fashion, you know, brand. Um, so we're 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 going to tweak it this way. Does the data sort of profile the the retailer so you're able to essentially treat them slightly different based on on those profiles? Yeah. So so I think it's. Um... I mean, we uh, uh, when we plug into the you know ERP system, ecom platform, or whichever system it is, uh, we pull all the data, um, all the historical data that is available, and, and from that data we can see you know how long um, has each and every product existed. Uh, is this a product that has sold for just one season, uh, maybe two years back, or is it a product product that has been sold for you know ten seasons? Uh, and that of course affects the the forecasts going forward. Um, but then it's also a mix with you know uh, what's available in the data, but also what what the user actually does with Madden. So uh, when a buying team or a business controller or whoever is using Madden uh, from within the company, uh, when they're making their forecasts, they are actually like they are merchandising the uh, the collection going forward. So they can pick and choose. You know, here are. 50 products that are carryovers or classics, never out of stocks. These are, you know, we've had them before, but and we're going to continue to have them uh, next season as well and, and next season after that, etc. Uh, but then we want to add these, you know, 50 products that are seasonal products or, or new products, and they're going to be dropped, uh, you know, during these different time periods. So it's usually a mix of what we can see in the data, uh, but also what um, what the user does with with the data and, and how they plan the. How they predict going forward and plan sales uh, from a uh, you know um, collection perspective. Incredible, incredible. Okay, Axel. Um, any parting words? So, for those people listening to this podcast, will be listening to this podcast in November of 2023. At some point in November of 2023, so meaning that they would have 45 days or less to go in in the year. <laughs> to deliver the results, do you have any pattern piece of, of advice? So we we wrap this this up. Uh, yeah, I think so. So um, you know, cash flow is the, the most important uh, part of, of your business for for any type of business, but for for consumer goods types of businesses uh, uh, specifically. And uh, I mean, a large part of of handling your cash flow is. Um, is having efficient and smart inventory planning. Uh, and if you work in you know, fashion, uh, that is really, really hard to forecast and really, really hard to, um, to, to plan inventory, then I strongly recommend that, uh, that you use some kind of system to, um, to help you with that. And um, that system should, of course, be Madden Analytics. Um, that's my parting words. Hint, <laughs> hint. Okay, so... <laughs> For those who want to find out more about Madden Analytics, it's M-A-D-D-E-N Analytics, A-N-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S.com. I will link to it in the show notes wherever you're listening to this. Um, for you, Axel, um, are you active on any social media channels and would you like us to connect our audience and community to, 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 to connect with you? 
Yeah, please do. I mean, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn and, and uh, I'm happy to, to connect to, to more people in the industry. Okay, so I will link to your, your LinkedIn also. I've just sent you a connection you know, request. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. I'm smarter with inventory management platform, particularly in the fashion industry. So thank you so much for sharing your insights and your background. It's a pleasure having you on the 2X e-commerce podcast. Thank you, Kunli. Really, really nice to be here. Uh, thank, thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.